The reading is, this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. This can be found on page 879 in the Bibles in the Chairs. Luke, chapter 20, verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able, in the presence of the people, to catch him in what he said. But marvelling at his answer, they became silent. Here ends the reading. Please do take a seat. Because we need to talk about taxes. Uh, I guess uh, you don't often hear that said in church, do you? And um, you probably weren't expecting uh, me to say that on this occasion of all occasions, on Remembrance Sunday. We're in this series in uh, Luke's Gospel, The King and the Kingdom, and we need to talk about taxes because Jesus does so here in Luke chapter 20. And as he does so, we will find ourselves entering a battleground that is just as crucial as those fought by those who we remember today. But it's not a battle fought between nations and governments, but between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. And it's not fought with guns and bombs. But intriguingly, the weapon of choice is questions. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there's, there's real power in questions. So uh, if I was to um, put out my um, rather sad visual aid here of one chair and another chair, I was to tell you that in this chair is the one who asked the questions. And in this other chair is the person being questioned. Which seat would you rather be in? When questions are flying around, you really want to be the questioner, not the questioned, don't you? That's true in an interview situation, isn't it? It's true if you ever end up getting into trouble with the police. Uh, we see it on Newsnight or uh, any other kind of um, political news program as the um, interviewer grills the government minister. What, 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 how on earth are you going to explain this, this discrepancy in, fig- in figures to the voters, uh, Mr. Minister? In nearly every situation where questions are being asked, this is the one with authority. This is where the power sits, with the one who's asking the questions. And here in Luke chapter 20, there are loads of questions being thrown around. Because Jesus, was, as, as um, Ben was saying earlier on, he's walked onto the turf of the religious leaders in the temple and literally turned the place upside down. 
And so there's this battle going on for authority in the temple. Uh, and so they, they, yeah, these are religious leaders, they battle with Jesus, ask him, what gives you the authority to just walk in here and, and start bossing us around? And, and Jesus responds with a, 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 a story about wicked tenants, and it's directed at these guys, fired back at them. As he goes, you are tenants in God's world, and yet you reject his prophets, and you're going to kill his son, and you swan around as if you own the place. How do you think that's going to go for you? How do you think that's going to end? And so it goes on all throughout this chapter, question after question, back and forth. All because these religious leaders are desperately trying to stay in control, stay sitting in the seat of power. And folks, I think that we can be like that, don't you? Humanity, we, we think that we should be the one that gets to question God. So we, so we sit in this chair and we put God in, in, in this one on the spot and we say, listen God, I've got some questions for you. How do you think you're going to answer this? And as I said the other week, there's definitely a place for asking questions about God. But too often, we ask questions not to gain understanding, not because we want answers, but because we want to stay in control, sitting in the seat of power in our lives, and thereby batting away the questions and the challenges that God might have for us. Do you see any of that attitude lurking in your hearts this morning? Which chair? Are you sitting in? Folks, I've been praying this week. I hope that doesn't come as too much of a surprise to you. You know, I can just see the headlines now. Minister praying for church shock. But I've been praying that uh, we will recognize this morning that the questions that Jesus has for us are much more important than the questions we want to answer. Ask him. Just as Jesus walked into the confrontation room of the temple back then. He wants to walk into our hearts this morning and confront us. So it'd be a great help uh, in, in doing that and giving him the opportunity to do that. If you'd have the Bible uh, open, uh, Luke chapter 20, flick back to um, page 879 if you could. And um, we're going to track through this. And hopefully things will become clear as we, uh, as we go through. Let's look firstly, number one, at the crafty trap. Chief priests and scribes, they've been schooled by Jesus before earlier on in the chapter, and we're going to take that risk again. So, verse 20, they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but teach but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? See what chair these guys are sitting in. It's this one, isn't it? They're they're taking the questioner's chair. They come to Jesus, but we're told exactly why they come. They want to trap Jesus with their words. Trap them. Trap him with a question. They're not interested in what he has to say, what he has to teach them. They just want to catch him, take hold of him. Get rid of him. It's a bit like when you go fishing. Have you ever been fishing? I've only ever been two or three times. Uh, so I'm not any great expert. But when you go fishing, you, know, you get a line with a hook on it. And 
And, and on the hook, what do you do? You, you bait it. You put maybe a little, little earthworm on, on that hook. Um, and as you do that and, and, and cast it out into the river, you are not saying, here you go, little fishy. Here's some lunch. Have some food. Here's a little meal for you. No, it's a deception. Your aim is not to give the fish a nice meal. <laughs> Your aim is to catch it. And in my case, I never did. And that is why I absolutely hate and detest fishing. I'm really sorry if you love it. I'm really sorry, but I hate it. Let's not get distracted by that, though. Do you see here, though, how these guys bait the hook? Verse 21. The spies come and they go, oh, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly. Here's your little worm. Come on, come on, have a little nibble. And show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Do you see what's at the end of the hook? It's a bucket load of flattery, isn't it? These guys are, uh, are taking the line of the opposite of gossip, actually, when you think about it. They're saying in front of his face what they would never say behind his back. I don't know if they realized just how blatantly they're speaking, well, they're trying to speak on truth, what they don't believe. But ironically, it is true what they say, isn't it? Jesus does speak and teach rightly. He does show no partiality. He's a man of integrity. He isn't swayed by anyone's opinion. He isn't slippery with the truth. He never tries to butter anyone up to win favor. That's why we can trust him. Because he's true. He speaks the truth no matter who he's speaking to or what he's speaking about. He's not like us. <laughs> we're all swayed by who we're talking to. Have you ever noticed that in your life? I certainly have in mine. You, you, you go into a situation, you think you're, you're absolutely determined to be straight with someone. And you, and you go to them. Maybe it's your boss, uh, a work colleague, maybe it's a, a family member or a, or a non-Christian friend. Uh, you can be totally straight, but when it comes down to it, you're standing right there in front of them. You cop out. You say it quite differently. You say it maybe with flattery or half-truths. <laughs> you say it with manipulation even. Maybe you don't say it at all. Not so with Jesus. He says it how it is. He truly teaches the way of God, regardless of who is standing in front of him. <laughs> Folks, what a difference it would make to the people in our lives. <laughs> if we had the courage and the confidence and the character of Jesus, and we followed his example, and we truly taught the word of God. Let's not be like these flatterers. They don't want to follow him. They just want to catch him out and get rid of him. And so they come to him, and they ask him this most crafty question. Do you see it in verse 22? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, as they say that, they're, uh, they're, they're raising the question of a poll tax uh, that was instituted by the Romans uh, on the Jews about 20 years previously. And the tax was nothing short of a national obsession to the Jews, a, a bit like the weather is for us Brits. <laughs> the Jews hated it. Poll taxes have never been popular. If you ever lived in Scotland in the early 90s, you will know that. <laughs> and this one was no different. So, um, so much so that when Jesus was a little boy, it was the cause of a serious revolt in the year 6 AD, led by a guy called Judas the Zealot. And this question, it was designed to hang Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. 
to impale them on one horn or the other. Do you see it? If he says, yes, you should pay the tax, then that will upset and alienate the Jews who hated the Romans. These religious leaders, they, they were just appalled that the, these, the people were going over to Jesus. And, and boy, if he said this, that would bring them running back. But if he said, no, you shouldn't pay, then that would get the Romans to arrest him for treason and inciting rebellion. The Romans tolerated a lot. But they didn't tolerate even the sniff of treason and rebellion. It's a gotcha question, isn't it? Looks for all the world like it's checkmate. It's very clever. And yet it's oh so sad, isn't it? This is humanity seeking to trap, seeking to twist, seeking to find a way to bring Jesus down and deny who he really is. Someone. The only one who truly teaches the way of God. Look at Jesus. He's not flustered, is he? He is so calm. Look at him as we secondly see the amazing escape. Check out verse 23, will you? Jesus perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. There's a cupboard in our house and it's got three identical glass jars in it like this. And each one of them is labeled with a child's name so that you know exactly whose it is. But one member of the family got in trouble uh, a while ago for dipping into this jar and taking it even though it was not their jar. I am not going to tell you who it was um, and, and out them here in front of, front of you all. That would be really unfair, wouldn't it? But let's just say it was late at night. Let's just say he was working hard on a sermon. Um, let's just say, you know, you got a bit peckish and the bread bin was empty. But he has been chastened for his mistake, uh, because clearly the jar is labeled, and he should have known exactly whose it is. And folks, in Jesus' time, you could say the same thing, actually, about coins. Ancient coins were understood to be the property of the person whose picture and inscription were on them. If it was clearly marked, then you knew who it belonged to. So do you see how Jesus is starting to turn the tables here? When he, when he asks folks to rummage in their pockets and, and bring out a denarius, um, then he's asking these spies to pull out of, pull out of the pockets a, a small silver coin, the equivalent of a, what was paid for a day's wages. It was issued by the Romans for the specific purpose of paying this tax. And on one side, there was a picture of the head of Caesar and the abbreviated inscription, T. Caesar Divi. I can't even say that. And if you, like me, your Latin is terrible, let me translate it for you. Tiberius, Caesar, son of the divine Augustus Augustus. So good they named him twice. That's not on the coin. That's just a bit I've added in. Anyway, let's forget about that. You see the point, though, don't you? It's got Caesar's image on it. And its inscription guarantees that it's worth what it says it is, it belongs to him. So verse 25. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give it to him, says Jesus. 
but, 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 have you spotted the but yet? Have you spotted it? Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, this coin is blasphemous. Of course you should pay taxes, of, of course you should honor the government, but you shouldn't seriously do that when, the, when, the, when it's controlled by a man who thinks he is the son of a god, should you? But before these spies, these smiling assassins can object, Jesus goes on, doesn't he? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Yes, you should submit to human authorities, Jesus says. Caesar has authority, you should pay your taxes, but he is not your God. You worship him and him alone. You give to him what is his. You see, if a coin is due to Caesar because it bears his image, then whatever bears the image of God is due to God. So question, folks, for you. A little bit of Bible trivia. What bears the image of God? If you know your Bible, you'll be saying, answer, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Yes, it's us, humankind, isn't it? You and me, we bear the image of God. It is stamped, we're stamped with his portrait on us. That's what marks us out from the animals. Makes us different, unique. You were created, you bear the image of God in the same way that a denarius bore the image of Caesar. Whether you believe in him or not, you bear that image. That is why you love. That's why you laugh. That's why you enjoy beauty. That's why you... Worship. That's why you look at death, that great enemy, and, and you long for more beyond it. You, you hope there's something beyond it, don't you? And you do that because you were created in the image of a loving, relational, creative, awesome, eternal God. Be, so just as the coin is owed to Caesar's, you, all of you, are owed to God. Your life is owed to him. So give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's, Jesus says. And that brings us thirdly and finally to the challenge. In fact, let me quickly draw out two for you. The first is really obvious. And that is pay your taxes. To which you might say, how dare you? Of course I pay my taxes. But really, all of them? Never been tempted to take a shortcut or two or three? I think I have. For Fiona and I were, uh, uh, had kids, uh, we bought an absolute wreck of a house and we were doing it up and um, uh, we had someone come in, some builders come in to do uh, the bathroom up and once they'd finished with the job, uh, I spoke to them about what the final charge was going to be and uh, he said, it's going to be £3,000. But, and if you've ever had work done like this, you will know what's coming next. If you pay us in, pay us in cash... We'll give it for 600 pounds, give you it to 600 pounds less. Now, I don't think Fiona and I have ever been uh, flush for cash, uh, but we were particularly tight at this point. So it was seriously tempting. And it would have been so easy to get away with. Ever found yourself in a situation like that? Or maybe you relate more to a friend of mine who uh, had a firm do his taxes every year. And uh, 
uh, they always tried to get him to record personal mileage, private mileage as business mileage, to try and get more tax back for him. And then again, maybe you found yourself at the end of a holiday coming back through customs, and you know you've got some stuff in your suitcase. But it's late, and you can't be bothered, and you think, oh, come on, it's just a few pounds. And so you just charge on through, nothing to declare, not giving it a second thought. But Jesus says you should. You should give it a second thought. As you should with the packet of fags that you can get in some parts of the city for six pounds, but in other parts of the city with tax on for 20. As you should when it comes to declaring income from a a rental property or a second home. We shouldn't go looking for exceptions. We shouldn't go seeking the the loopholes, going, oh, but come on, it's, it's, it's not that much, it's just a little bit. Jesus is only talking about the big taxes, you know. He's only talking about those, you know. These other ones, they're just piddly. They don't really matter that much. I mean, come on, I, and I can't really afford it, you know. I, I would never have started the job if I, if I couldn't, uh, you know, if, if, if I'd known it was going to be that much tax. You've got to do sums before you start, haven't you? <laughs> what about this loophole? But <laughs> it goes to the government. <laughs> and they're a bunch of buffoons. Um, they'll only take it and spend it on MPs' expenses or, or they'll send it off to Europe. You know, or they'll, or they'll put a bazillion more equalities officers in city councils. What a waste. But Jesus tells the Jews to pay, even though this tax was issued by a foreign oppressor who had taken over their government. An incredibly organized one, nonetheless, who provided roads and law and order and security and religious freedom too. It wasn't a bad thing to live in a Roman society. Which is why the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 13, uh, picking up on what Jesus says here, he writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except for God. For because of this you pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And I guess there's a big challenge in there for us, isn't there, in this run-up to this general election about how we speak about and honor the leaders of our political parties and pray for them. We should give. We should pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. But secondly, we should give, up, give God our all. Or as Jesus puts it, give to God the things that are God's. You see, it's quite possible to be rightly paying our taxes and be guilty of a far greater tax evasion. The biggest fraud in the universe is the failure to give ourselves completely to the Lord Jesus. He made us. We're stamped with his image. We belong to him. Quite often when I talk to people about him, when I talk to people about Jesus, they, they try and justify themselves, why, why they aren't engaging with the gospel, why they're not listening to their questions or asking their honest questions to him or coming to church. Uh, and they try and tell me what good citizens they are, how they give to charity or, or whatnot. And I'm not knocking that for a minute. I mean, it's, it's, it makes society much ple- more pleasant if we're all living as decent citizens. But what an appalling tragedy it would be to have always paid our expenses 
I always claimed the right expenses and always paid our taxes to have all the receipts to, in financial terms, be absolutely squeaky clean. But when we come face to face to Jesus, we hear him say, but you didn't give me what's due to me. You haven't worshipped me as your saviour, as your Lord, as your creator. In fact, you've largely ignored me. Or maybe even worse, like these religious leaders, you hear Jesus say, you've actually been working against me. You've been constantly trying to trip me up and wriggle out of what I have to say. I wonder if we ever question God in that way, sitting in this seat, just trying to find a loophole, just trying to find a reason not to obey his word. When it comes to our time, when it comes to standing up and speaking out for his word, for what it says to individuals in our society, when it comes to our sexuality and our identity, that's a biggie, isn't it? When it comes to money too, money's included in this. In fact, money comes up quite a lot here in these chapters of Luke. Flick flick back through. Um, And I I have to say, as Ben and I and others have taught on them, we have been really tempted to find loopholes to get out of preaching what Jesus says about money. You know, so we go to the rich young ruler and we, we, we find him being told, you know, sell everything, give it to the poor. And we go, oh, that's just because he had a problem with money. <laughs> that's cause, it's because it was an idol for him. Folks, money is a discipleship issue for us all, isn't it? I'm not saying we should all be selling, going home and selling everything we have and giving it to people, but we've got to take on board that challenge. It's an issue for us all. Folks, I think we've got to stop second-guessing Jesus, haven't we? We've got to stop looking for the loopholes. Stop treating him with suspicion. Stop putting him on the spot with our questions and start listening to him and taking on board his questions and his challenges. After all, at the end of the day, Jesus is not just after a little bit of our time, a little bit of our money, or for us to meet him halfway in terms of how we view this world that he's made. No. He's looking for us all. All of us. He wants us. He loves us so much that he will not settle for anything less. Because only he is worth it. And only he can be trusted. And only he can stretch and fully satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. So let's give to God's what is God's. Let's give him all of our lives. Let me pray that through for us now. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so... Sorry for all the times where we think that we know better than you. We confess how often we want to be the questioner, how often we want to pass our judgment on you. We must seem like such foolish children to you at times. But we thank you. We thank you that you bear with us. You do forgive us when we call out to you. And so we pray now that you would forgive us and you would open us up to your questions. You alone are God. You alone are Lord. You alone are worth it. We bear your image and we worship you. 
So teach us what it means for us to do that, to give to you what is owed, what is truly yours, as an act of thanks for all you have done for us. Help us to love you with all our mind, all our heart, our strength and our soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.